Hello everybody and thank you for joining me on today's episode of Activist Lawyer. We bring you a special episode. I'm delighted to be joined by this uh, guest. We've been speaking on and off for a couple of weeks now and it's truly an honour to have her here. And I hope you take as much out of this uh, podcast as I did. I learned so much, so much that I, I, I thought I knew about what's happening in this country, but she really provides us with excellent insight. And this podcast is really a call to action for the legal community not to ignore what's happening to women and girls in Afghanistan, which is going to be our topic today. So just by way of introduction, Mariam, who I speak with, is a human rights defender from Afghanistan who works to address gender apartheid within our country. So the Taliban, as we know, took over again in 2021. And since then, August 2021, has systematically annihilated women's rights and stopped women and girls from accessing education. Mariam does everything she can in very difficult circumstances, I might add, to keep the flame of hope burning for all women and girls in her country. She also has a voice on the global stage, holding the world to account for failing to take enough adequate measures to halt the gender field atrocities that are happening every day and getting progressively worse. She is very clear that all of us have a responsibility to do something about the situation in Afghanistan. And if we fail, then this could set a precedent for other women around the world. Her messages are for governments, policymakers, politicians, other activists, all women and their allies. In fact, everyone who cares what happens to their fellow human beings and wants to stop gendered violence in its tracks. Mariam's professional career was unfortunately cut short when the Taliban took over. However, she has continued to fight, in turn both speaking out and taking practical measures to support other women and girls. She refuses to remain silent as a protest against the fact that so many women and girls are oppressed and now simply too terrified to speak out. She does this at great personal risk and is all too aware of the dangers that she faces. So currently she's an online educator, a mental health counsellor, a journalist, a fantastic journalist and a writer and of course a very prominent and strong women's rights activist. It's a pleasure to have her join me and I hope you feel the same. Thank you. So thank you everybody for joining me on today's episode of Activist Lawyer. I am delighted to be joined by Mariam. Uh, we're, we're here via Zoom. Mariam, thank you very much for taking the time to join me today. Thank you for inviting me. Uh, I'm so happy to be here and talk to you. Not at all. We've had a chat before. So I we had a little introduction um, a number of weeks ago and it's been so lovely to stay in touch with you. And today we're going to talk about um, your personal, your journey as well, and also the activism and the fantastic work that you and your colleagues have been doing. And we're going to touch on a number of areas that you're working on and you're going to take us through some of those really important issues. Can we firstly talk about um, and, and inform our listeners about your journey in law? right up until what happened in, in August 2021 when the Taliban took over? Thank you so much. That's a great question to uh, start with. I graduated from law faculty uh, in 2020, and then I uh, started to work in the court as a trainee, and uh, I was um, uh, hoping and I was on the word of qualifying to be a lawyer uh, right in the week before the former government of Afghanistan collapsed. And uh, after that, you know, that I, I couldn't receive my uh, certification document and I couldn't practice as a lawyer as the regime banned uh, all female lawyers to renew uh, their license and 
uh, you know that no woman is allowed to work outside yeah. uh, in uh, the current situation under this regime mm-hmm. of uh, Taliban. Yeah, I mean, it's it's harrowing reading the accounts of people who were in a similar situation as yourself. But many women have continued to work in some respect and have tried their best to pursue their career and their dreams, you know, to, to work as a lawyer in spite of these significant challenges and these restrictions. How have you continued to do this? You know, being a lawyer is to do advocacy for justice, for defending someone, for uh, to um, help them, but uh, you know, as I uh, mentioned in my first, uh, in the first question, when I answered, uh, after the new regime took over the country, um, in one of the uh, their restrictions, they uh, banned all female lawyers from working and practicing as a lawyer, and uh, uh, me as, as a million, I mean, as a thousands of other female lawyers. We cannot work uh, as a lawyer, and we cannot defend any victim in the victim or any cases in the court uh, uh, like it was before. Yeah. But uh, I believe that I I do the advocacy, but not in the court in uh, for for each or for every case. But I do the advocacy for all women and girls in in my country because um, I believe that is the. Uh, meaning of being a lawyer and doing uh, our job mm-hmm. because this is the time that my people and women and girls in Afghanistan need uh, our support and yeah. our advocacy for their rights and uh, for their rights of the right to freedom and uh, living. Mm-hmm. And of course, there's many areas that you have um, been active on and that you've spoken on and that you've written on um, and conducted research on that is valuable to anybody who's not in Afghanistan, but looking on as to what's happening. Uh, So your work is very well documented and very much appreciated um, within the international community. But just to focus on a few of those areas, if we may, um, looking back in time, I guess the darkest time for women and girls in Afghanistan was during the Taliban rule between 1996 right up until 2021, which saw the deprivation of women's rights um, in an extreme sense. And since the Taliban's recent takeover again, which we mentioned August 2021, they had professed a transformation that they would assert respect for women's rights. But we know that within a month of capturing Kabul, they had issued a decree barring girls from education beyond sixth grade. And of course, this cast doubt on anything that they had professed. And we're now witnessing an attempt to totally eradicate women from all aspects of life. So the first thing that we might look at is the issue of gender apartheid, um, which is something that you have spoken on previously and that women and activists, not only in in Afghanistan, but within the diaspora, are calling for recognition. So in terms of gender apartheid, what does this mean and what does this mean for the women and girls in Afghanistan? Well, uh, you know, as you mentioned, after uh, the Taliban took over in the country, then they systematically and they gradually restricted women from the, um, their daily life, from the public life. And today, imagine that a woman and cannot go out without a man. Uh, women are not allowed to go to university, to schools. There is no place and spaces for women to have entertainment. For example, going to parks, restaurants, gyms, beauty salons, and everywhere is um, banned to them. And 
if we um in terms of gender apartheid as you mentioned gender apartheid is not uh, uh, recognized in the international uh, law and international criminal law but we have racial apartheid and we have uh, uh, the crime apartheid uh, in the convention in the apartheid convention and the rumi statute and uh, it can be described as a uh, three elements which is uh, the dominance of uh, one group and uh, one racial group over another also a systematic operation of one uh, racial group over another also the last one is inhuman acts and if we uh, see uh, and we can see all these uh, all these three elements in Afghanistan uh, that is happening against women and girls because it just need to change the word racial of racial to the gender, gender and yeah. after that we can see yes it uh, completely match uh, to the situation that women and girls uh, are experiencing and it must be recognized under the crimes against humanity mm-hmm. um, uh, the crime that is happening against women in Afghanistan yeah. and uh, this is uh, why that uh, all women, women's rights activists inside and outside of Afghanistan and therefore and um, international lawyers and uh, human rights organizations, they are working to uh, that gender apartheid get recognized. Uh-huh. And we demand to stop it in Afghanistan and take the regime and their leaders accountable mm-hmm. for the crimes that they, they are they committed. Uh, in Afghanistan against women. We'll talk a little bit later just about the reaction of the international community and what's being done. But firstly, looking at the women and the girls in Afghanistan, I suppose because of the severe restrictions that are impacting every facet of a woman's life, it's no surprise that mental health issues among women and girls are on the rise. And because women can't work or take part in education, let alone attend, I mean, social events, I know that salons have all been closed, which were a very important part of um, some women's lives in terms of interacting with other women and and chatting. That's all gone now. And women are therefore um, maybe seen as a burden sometimes on their families and are experiencing abuse within the home, within a, a, a kind of a deepening crisis how is this being addressed? I know mental health is something that you have been um, exploring recently and that you're quite vocal on. How is it impacting women and what's being done? Thank you uh, for asking this question, which is uh, a very important issue to nowadays in Afghanistan. Uh, you know, um, as the, the I, I can say that cruel and inhuman restrictions on women um, uh, happen to uh, women every day and, and banned women from the public and banned and erased women from public life. Uh, imagine that a woman uh, is locked at home mm-hmm. since morning to night and there is no way to go because all women and all families and all girls don't have a male chaperone to leave the house every day and for some of them, there is uh, no reason and no means to have uh, the opportunity and the permission to leave the, uh, their house. And uh, for education and uh, working uh, opportunities, you know that women don't have 
uh, that for that reason there is no hope for women, no future for them. Uh, this is the, the all these are the main reasons for a deep uh, mental health crisis among women and. Um, I'm sorry to say that, and I, I don't have, uh, I know I have no idea if, uh, for the listener, but there is a high number of suicide attempts among women, uh, among Afghan people, specifically among women and girls. Mm-hmm. And uh, for this reason, I joined uh, a team with a high-level trainer to be trained uh, to help women and girls with mental health support. Uh, and to support them, to uh, consult them with their problems, and um, yeah. because this is very difficult situation, and uh, every day we can hear that uh, young girls are forced to uh, get married at young age, and uh, women uh, have no future and no hope. So uh, this is a very important issue, and. Uh, yeah, and it's a really worrying <laughs> issue, and I suppose particularly as well because if women are restricted from education, this issue is probably going to get worse in the sense that they're prevented then from becoming professionals like doctors, um, you know, like counsellors, like psychotherapists, and women who can help and support other women. So eventually, there'll be a, a massive gap there where women who do have um, issues, whether it's physical health issues or mental, really have nobody to turn to. Yes, uh, yes, you are absolutely right. And when uh, women are banned uh, from the studying, and uh, eventually with this situation, there would wouldn't be any uh, female doctors and uh, to help other women with their mental health mm-hmm. crisis or with any other uh, medical problems because um, no one is allowed in Afghanistan to study and. Uh, the mental health crisis is going to worse day by day. And, yeah. uh, and some, uh, I mentioned this somewhere that there must be, uh, I guess the international community and the international law uh, might have another term, which is gender genocide, because there is everyday women are uh, losing their lives yeah. because of mental health problems and they attempt to suicide and I uh, have many cases uh, when I spoke with my clients uh, when uh, for my support to mental health uh, uh, conservation. Mm-hmm. Gosh, there's a real sense of urgency around that. That's really, really worrying. And just, I suppose, getting back to one of the core issues that um, I know you've been working on, and we, we do actually see a little bit more, I suppose, um, t- touched in the, in the press and um, other publications on education. And that was one of the first things that the Taliban tackled when they um, started their, introduced their oppressive regime back to over two years ago now. So just in terms of education, which is something that we do read about a little bit more frequently perhaps than the other areas that we're touching on. But what is the situation on the ground, uh, Mariam, in terms of education? Is it a case that all girls and all women are banned from every aspect of education? I know the Taliban, through their oppressive regime, had started to phase out education. We're now in 2024. What does it look like for women and girls in terms of accessing any education formally? Thank you so much for asking this uh, important question. Uh, you know, when Taliban took over in 2021, and uh, they at first they banned female students from attending 
to secondary school and then in 2022 in december 2022 they banned uh, female students from attending to uh, universities mm-hmm. and today afghanistan is the only country on the earth uh, on the planet earth that uh, female students cannot go to the secondary school and to the universities mm-hmm. and it means that in uh, in next five years if the Taliban uh, were in power uh, or 10 years, we, we won't have teachers, in, female teachers, female engineers, female, um, I don't know, scientists, and many uh, opportunities will take away from uh, women and girls in my country. Yeah, it's um, Since uh, they banned the schools and universities to women, uh, with all of women and humans and education rights activists, activists, we uh, tried our best and called on the regime. Also, the United Nations and all other international organizations called on the regime to open uh, to uh, to open the doors of the schools and universities to women and let them learn. And uh, we uh, uh, had many campaigns for that, yeah. but uh, no pressure and. I, I believe no, none of the sanctions worked on the regime and they did not open the uh, schools and universities to women and girls. But mm-hmm. they, I believe they did a more dangerous uh, thing towards women and girls because they opened more madrasas uh, in Afghanistan. And That's, of course, the religious, you know the religious schools, mm-hmm. yeah. And you know, we are a madrasa. Madrasa is a place that where the Taliban themselves grew up there, a religious school where they can um, uh, teach the, the, uh, their interpre- interpretation of yeah. uh, their, their interpretation of Islamic law, which, which is none of them are the thing that we believe. Yeah. And it is absolutely and definitely the Taliban's indoctrination because mm-hmm. um, one of uh, my students is, is studying there and uh, because she says that uh, I, I really didn't have any reason to uh, leave home and I wanted, uh, I couldn't stay at home and I wanted to go out and for this reason I am uh, joining or I'm attending to uh, this madrasa and there they only memorize things and they don't study yeah. any uh, subjects like mathematics, chemistry or yeah. English or computers. None of these subjects are taught there, but uh, they study only Arabic subjects, yeah. which are not clear from which resources. Mm-hmm. And they only memorize everything and they are asked uh, to do this. They, uh, they are asked to uh, uh, memorize the questions or the answers of um, the topics that they, the teachers or ev- everyone gives them there. Mm. So it is absolutely indoctrination. Yeah. It is, these places are places for uh, growing uh, terrorists. Yeah. Which is Gosh, it's so shocking. Very dangerous. Yeah. So future we- of the country. 
Yeah, so just to be clear, I mean, to me, hearing that, it, this poses even more of a danger for society as a whole in Afghanistan, as it seems there's an attempt to completely eradicate modern edu- education, whether that's for men or women, young boys or girls, um, leaving a nation void of really essential skills. And um, this kind of ideology and, and teaching under, let's call it, I suppose, a, a Taliban curriculum, I guess, is impacting every aspect of life. And as we said, you have some, you know of some students who are attending those those schools, those predominantly religious um, facilities, but also young boys and men um, who've progressed with learning and haven't been barred from going to school. This is the type of educating, education that they're receiving, um, which is based on a kind of a regressive ideology at every level. So um, that's really worrying as well, aside from the gender apartheid issue and the banning of of girls and women from education. Yes, uh, yes, you're right. And, uh, you know, all these students, male or female, who are studying in these madrasas and these kind of schools, they are the mothers and fathers of, uh, they are future uh, mothers and fathers. And they, uh, when they grow up in these madrasas, and they will become uh, another version of Taliban themselves yeah. or like ISIS or any mm-hmm. other group which is, um, attacking on um, and yeah. safety of uh, humanity and uh, in every part of the world. Mm, it's really worrying and it's a matter of urgency as this is really um, having widespread impact. Also, I know that a lot of men, you know, fathers and brothers and, and male family members have been advocating publicly for the rights of their girls, their daughters, to attend school and to receive an education because they believe that this is vital and they stand against the regime. What happens to them? Are they at risk? Yes, uh, thank you. Um, alongside women and women's rights activists who were protesting and uh, advocating for women's rights and education rights in Afghanistan, there are there where and there are there are many other men who are uh, standing and supporting women's rights, standing by women and supporting women's rights in Afghanistan, especially education rights. Uh, I can uh, name uh, some of them. Uh, one of them is Matthew Lavesa, who is an uh, education rights activist for uh, both uh, male and female students, but after the Taliban took over, um, she more works and advocates for female students who are banned uh, from the school and she went, I'm sorry, he went to every uh, villages across the country and uh, talking with the fathers and uh, the male members of families to um, to uh, ask the to gather and ask the regime to open the doors of the schools for female students and creating the opportunities uh, I mean, schools, small schools in the um, in the villages for uh, girls, and also there are um, many of them. And um, of course, the Taliban arrested him because uh, in one of the interviews, the minister of higher education mentioned that uh, everyone who is uh, demonstrating against the regime with their words, with their pains, and with their uh, actions they must be killed and this is very if uh this is very uh, dangerous yes. and uh, it's like a uh, 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 warning to everyone who, who is doing 
uh, their work. So they arrested uh, Matteo Lavezza and uh, he has been in the in prison for several months and now he is free. But uh, there are two other education rights activists, uh, Fahim and Sadiq, and uh, the last week the Amnesty International called on regime to uh, Im- for the immediate release of uh, these education rights activists uh, to be free as yeah. soon as possible. Well, we touched there on, of course, men who are active and are obviously, um, you know, appalled at the fact that their children and, and their family members are banned from education. But we cannot underestimate the power of Afghan women as it becomes imperative, more and more increasingly imperative for them to advocate for themselves and to um, assert their rights. And I mean, they're very brave to do so in what is an extremely oppressive regime. So I, I suppose my question is, I'm wondering, is this, are women putting themselves at great risk when we know that protesting is banned, but they're still really using their voice in any way possible to assert their rights? What's the, your experience of this and are women at risk when they do try to speak out? With every restriction that this regime imposed on women, the women have protested for that, for a right for education that is taken away from women and girls for a right to work and for banning, the closing the beauty salon and every other restriction. And I believe that the protest doesn't have only, or fighting against the regime's cruel restriction doesn't have only one uh, way and face. And I, I believe many women uh, protest and fight in many different ways. Um, for example, as as um, as uh, myself, uh, according to the situation that I had and uh, that I have had, uh, I I started to teach. I started to teach and educate women and girls, it is just a, a sign of protesting against the regime. Another uh, woman created an opportunity for women and girls to, I mean, create a work opportunity. For example, open a, a, a small home restaurant and to create opportunity for women to work there or someone opened a, a sewing, sewing workshop mm-hmm. or um, everyone... Uh, is thinking a way, uh, thinking of a way to protest, and we have um, very, uh, we have uh, extraordinary uh, brave women who uh, protesting at the streets, and you know that uh, uh, there are a lot of reports and videos on social media that uh, they, uh, the regime, uh, the intelligence intelligence of the regime track them and. Uh, arrested them and they have been in the prison uh, for several months and they have been tortured and beaten and mm-hmm. after many efforts of uh, UN and international organizations they has uh, they have been released and um, this is uh, why I believe that a protest doesn't have only uh, one way and one face and women are doing and risking their life every day, and uh, just to uh, just to demonstrate that the, the regime's beliefs and restrictions are not according to uh, their beliefs, and uh, and they demonstrate against that.
Yeah, gosh. And I mean, everything's just taken such a massive step back when we think that, you know, um, a lot of areas, including women, were really at a really progressive level. It, it had been built back up after um, the 90s when it was a really dark time for women. And, you know, for example, one of the great disappointments was for women who had been able to enter governmental positions and become representatives. The Ministry of Women's Affairs was changed to the Ministry of Vice and Virtue by the Taliban, which is really an attempt to start stop women from entering government at any level. So that's, again, another massive step back, which I'm sure, you know, cost women their livelihoods, which feeds into, of course, their mental health because they're not able to be employed. So it just really shows that every single aspect of life has been targeted, um, you know, from education to employment to mental health, which is really just shocking. Just one area in particular that um, we might look at is that of lawyers. You're a a lawyer yourself, an activist lawyer. But uh, we have had previous guests on before talking about um, female lawyers from Afghanistan who were able to be evacuated after August 2021 through various programmes. Some were judges and prosecutors. Now, just to stay with Afghanistan, there still are, from what I can see, real dangers in place for judges and prosecutors who no longer work and they could be female or male. But we'll focus on women who were immediately uh, suspended from their jobs or prevented from working and a real risk was posed to them because they would have prosecuted criminals that the Taliban later released. What is the situation for women lawyers in Afghanistan at the moment? I mean, I'm guessing none of them are working, am I correct? I really appreciate asking this uh, question because this is um, uh, in uh, the area of my expertise because you mentioned that and we all know that female lawyers I mean judges prosecutors and uh, attorneys in they are not uh, allowed they are no longer allowed to work female judges and prosecutors and uh, I can say the majority of them were evacuated to uh, other countries to safety and uh, female lawyers, they are remained in Afghanistan. They are not only uh, didn't evacuate it and they remained and they are not able to practice. When the new regime uh, took over and they didn't accept none of the former government uh, uh, judges and prosecutors, no, no female, neither male, and none of them are working because they, um, they don't have the qualification that they are assigned to do uh, to work as a judge and to do to work as a prosecutor, mm-hmm. and uh, they are in the justice system of the country. Yeah. About female lawyers, um, I'm, uh, I have uh, a lot of colleagues and female uh, lawyers uh, colleagues that they were trying and they reached out to the court system and to the court in Afghanistan in different provinces and uh, tried to ask the regime to uh, give them the permission to work. Mm. But one of the stories which is very uh, heartbreaking and interesting I want to share is uh, one of these uh, lawyers that I know told me that she went to the court and asked that that I'm the only breadwinner of my family. And uh, this is the only job that I had before the government, the former government collapsed. And I need to work and uh, allow me to work and practice and to help other women. And, but 
they asked her, are you single or married? And then she didn't know uh, what to say. And she said that I'm single. And then the Taliban uh, judge told her that you can write a letter and apply something like that and write an application and send it to their leader. Uh, they call him Amirul Mominin and ask him that to marry you with one of uh, Taliban fighters. And then at that time, you can have a sort of camp and you, you don't need to uh, practice as a liar and you don't need to leave your house. This is very heartbreaking. My and goodness. because it is not only for uh, allowing the lawyer for working, it is yeah. for supporting and advocating all those uh, women who are brave enough to uh, uh, to submit their, to file their complaint in the uh, court of the Taliban court. Mm. Because uh, uh, everyone who is in Afghanistan, they all know that no women are allowed to enter to the court alone without yeah. a male chaperone. Yeah. And they must be accompanied with a man. And uh, if if the case is about domestic violence or uh, a violence that happened in the family by their fathers, brothers, and husbands, the, the decision is uh, 100% uh, for the benefit of the man. And they don't listen to the women. They don't see them and they, they ignore them completely. And uh, for this reason, uh, we need it. And uh, our society, it, all these women need female lawyers to advocate for them, but yeah. they are not allowed. In this. <laughs> and, and imagine that how many uh, cases that are there uh, that there is no one to support women and they lose their rights and they uh, experience more violation and abuse yeah. because of uh, this uh, kind of system. Yeah, it's absolutely, I mean, the international legal community should be outraged by this. Let's just step back a little bit. So to get it very clear, because this is really, really worrying. Not only have women and girls had their education stopped, especially, you know, at various levels and those who were about to qualify or about to become lawyers, those who were lawyers were at extreme risk and either evacuated the country, which is, of course, not ideal either. Um, at least they're safe, but that's not what they would have wanted. Um, lawyers are no longer allowed. Women cannot work as lawyers under any circumstances. The Taliban have introduced their own judiciary, which puts women at grave risk. And um, I mean, there, there seems to be, I, I can't imagine a judiciary or, or an establishment in place like that, it, it just seems to be crumbling. And while I see that the International Bar Association appears to have been very active in terms of reaching out to those within the legal pro profession in Afghanistan, I mean, has that been effective? And what more can the international, the legal community do? I understand that there are women judges um, in the UK and in Ireland who are working and have been um, taken into positions where they can start to study again here. But really, what can they do and what can we do to change what's happening? Is there anything in terms of outreach that the international community can do to, to stop this and to highlight this issue? Because I don't think a lot of people are aware of it. I would ask to speak about this issue, speak about women and girls in Afghanistan, to write to uh, the uh, 
your MPs and your governor and everywhere that you are and that anyone that who is willing to help speak about women. Don't forget about women and girls and their situation in Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. Um, I can address to the racial apartheid in South Africa and it, it ended at the eventually uh, by the local effort and international communities support and with all women's rights and education rights and human rights activists we are doing our best and we are working every day and we are trying to uh, raise awareness being the voice of millions of women and girls in the country and to uh, it, and ask for uh, stopping the gender apartheid in Afghanistan. And but we need uh, your support and the international community's support because uh, we women, we Afghan women inside and outside of the country, we are fighting and not only for our rights and not only for Afghan women's rights, but for rights of every woman in every part of the world. Because we cannot let the oppression and extremism extremism win. Mm-hmm. If today we give up on our rights, and then more women will experience our uh, situation and uh, in every other part of the world. Yeah. And we are fighting for every woman in uh, uh, every other uh, woman in in across the globe. Across the globe and yeah. we need your support now. Absolutely. And I mean, I was focusing there on, on women lawyers, but really we all need to be vocal in terms of every aspect that's affecting women and girls in Afghanistan, because everything leads into the one thing leads into the other. So really there from an individual point of view, we can be active around contacting our MPs and making sure that this is our members of parliament, whatever country we're in, and making sure that this issue remains on the table. There have been some very vocal politicians, I know within the UK and um, within Ireland that have kept issues on the table, but really is, is it a sense, I suppose I should ask this, I, 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 it's my opinion, but is are the issues affecting women and girls in Afghanistan receiving less attention, do you think, as people kind of move on from the situation? Is it something that we need to reignite in terms of getting people's attention focused on it? I believe so. Uh, I, I believe that media and uh, the uh, discussions and the attention move on from the situation of women and girls from in Afghanistan. Because no one can uh, even imagine that it is more than more than two years that we all are locked in prison, and no one. I I have no idea how to say that because if one day it if it was in the former government, if one day we uh, something happened and we couldn't follow our schedule and our programs for daily and weekly. It was very difficult and we were sad, but can you imagine that it is more than two years that no woman and girls are able to, uh, no woman and girls are able to study. They cannot work. They they don't have any source of income. They don't, they are not allowed to have fun. Every day starts in the uh, four walls of the house and it finishes there. It finishes there. Mm -hmm. And it is really heartbreaking and it is unbearable. And if the attention and uh, the topics of the today's world news was Afghanistan. I believe that something would happen earlier and not waiting to pass two years or more than two years. And I have no idea how much more we will be in this prison like this. Yeah. And 
and this is mm. really heartbreaking and this is very disappointing. Uh, I give the right for women who have mental health problems to have uh, disappointed with their futures because it has been more than two years and there is no hope that it will change in, uh, in I don't know, it's coming months or years and this is heartbreaking. Yeah. I mean, it, it's relentless. I think the, the Taliban's persecution, which is what it is, of women and girls in particular, is absolutely relentless. And from what I can see, the International Criminal Court and anybody tasked with investigating, you know, and prosecuting individuals um, who are responsible and clearly responsible for these crimes, it's just not enough. Nothing is being done at that level at the moment that will have any real impact. So maybe there's a call for pressure there as well from you know, people to um, ensure that their governments are taking action, um, just like we're seeing at the moment with the International Court of Justice. But finally, Mariam, the Taliban's persecution of women and girls is clearly relentless. What we're hearing and what we're witnessing, and I'm sure we're not hearing half of what's happening, but thankfully with people like yourself who have been brave enough to step out and, and let us know, let us on the outside know what's happening. Um, what I suppose, given that it's relentless and you're living it at the moment, what hopes do you have? What would you call on people to do? And what are your expectations of the international community? When we are talking about having hope for the future, when uh, when when I or when when other women are inside of Afghanistan, it seems there is no hope. But I I say that. I hope that the international community recognizes the gender apartheid in Afghanistan that is happening in Afghanistan, the crimes against humanity, the crimes against women that is happening uh, in, in Afghanistan under this regime. Um, I have uh, heard that uh, all people, all individuals are innocent, and unless someone or un- unless a prosecutor approves that. Uh, I mean, that person, that uh, that man or woman is uh, a criminal mm-hmm. and must be punished. But today, uh, as a woman who I'm living in this situation under this current regime, I can say that this regime uh, acts and behaves towards women like all women are criminals, unless they prove that they are not. And recently, you might hear that if women... Women are arrested only for the excuse or for uh, having improper hijab, even though they wear a uh, black hijab and they wear black mask. And but they are arrested and they are detained and they were uh, they are tortured and raped and beaten. And there are many there are many reports on this that uh, people say that they and confirm that all these are happening in the on women in prisons. I hope that the international community do something for women and girls in Afghanistan before it gets too late. Well, Mariam, I mean, for me, it's been a per- personally just a privilege and an honour to talk to you. I've learned so much from you over the last couple of weeks. 
And I'm sure our listeners will appreciate what you're doing and the bravery that you and your colleagues, the women and the girls in Afghanistan who are not taking this regime lying down, they're standing up um, as best they can with whatever resources they can to try and continue their education and to try and put this issue at the fore of the international community because it is so vital and important that this is addressed, as you say, before it's too late. So I just really want to thank you so much for giving me your time and for discussing these issues that you're living through with our listeners. It's just been um, a real privilege. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Uh, And I'm so happy to be here and talk to you and be the voice of uh, millions of other women and girls and talk about the situation that we are living. Thank you. Thank you, Marion. Thanks everyone for joining me today. If you like the show, please remember to share and leave a review if you have a moment. And you can also check out our website, www.activistlawyer.com, where you will see some blog articles written by our guests and contributors, as well as some fabulous Activist Lawyer merchandise. This podcast was recorded in Granite Podcast Studio. Interested in starting up your own podcast, but don't know how? Granite Podcast Studio can help. Record your podcast in our state-of-the-art studio, which is based in the heart of Newry City. Our studio has cutting-edge and user-friendly technology and can seat up to four people. We also provide an editing service for our team using your guidance and editing notes to provide you with a flawless finished product, leaving your listeners wanting more. For more information on how you can get started, visit www.granitepodcaststudio.com.